Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. I asked my assistant to see who she could find who has some expertise in the area of um, non-heterosexual <laughs> sexuality. Um, I was thinking of uh, teenagers and what it's like when they're exploring their sexuality and figuring out who they are. And she actually found me much more than that. My guest today is Rick Clemens. He is the author of Frankly, My Dear, I'm Gay which is coming out in February 2016. He's also the founder of The Point One Project, and you'll be hearing about that later in the show. Rick is a motivational speaker who makes people think, and he's also the host of the Coming Out Lounge podcast, which creates ways for people to stop apologizing for who they are and start living as who they're meant to be. Rick is the father of two young adult daughters, and is now happily married to the man who rocks his world. He also mentioned that he's an avid cyclist and a wine drinker. Welcome to the show, Rick. Hey, Virginia. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, I can't wait to see to find out what I will learn. So me you too. invited me to ask by to start by asking what you think one of the greatest lessons is that we can teach to our kids. Let's go with that. Yeah, that sounds like a great place to start. So I think one of the greatest things we can invite our kids to do is to really invite them to be curious about everything in life. Um, I think often as parents and adults, we forget to let the childhood curiosity stay alive. And then suddenly you get to be my age, 52, and you're wondering, okay, well, why isn't things going the way I want them to and sometimes I think it's simply because I've lost my ability to be really curious about things in life. And I know with my own two daughters who are now 20 and 16, um, encouraging them to be curious about things has really enlightened their life and helped them see um, the world in a different light. Okay. Sounds good. I, I'm in favor of curiosity and in favor of keeping an open mind and, and never-ending learning. So where do we go next? Do you want to tell me about your book that's coming out? Well, sure. I think um, that's probably a good place to start because, you know, as I was listening to the intro to your show, and I've listened to your show a couple of times, this is about a world where family and the definition of family has changed. And um, I was married for 13 years. As you already know, I have two daughters. And... um, for all intents and purposes, anybody looking from the outside in thought I had the perfect family and thought I had the perfect life and had the perfect career. All those things seemed to be lined up. You know, all those boxes were checked. And um, what people didn't really see was I was completely miserable and, and completely unhappy. Um, in my world, I was hiding that mostly in the form of food and um alcohol, not to an abusive state with the alcohol, but I, I definitely liked my cocktails and um I was a pretty big guy. Now I am a big guy. I'm like six foot four, about two hundred and sixty pounds, so when people see me I'm kind of a 
formidable looking guy as it is, but you add another hundred pounds onto that. And I was a really big guy then. And, um, it was all hiding the truth of who I was, which was me being a gay man. And, um, once I really came to those crossroads in my life, I realized I was not doing myself any good, nor my children, nor my ex-wife any good by continuing to try to be someone that I wasn't. And um, I made the decision to say, this is me. This is me, and I know I'm going to put some big changes into my life, my wife's life, my children's life, my extended family's life. But the change could either be I'm here or I could have the change where I was no longer here. And um, I knew for myself that no longer here wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. When did you first get the feeling that you didn't really fit the two parents, 2.3 kids mode of uh What's allegedly normal? That that the, uh, when did you first start to feel like you know maybe maybe I'm gay? Well, I knew um, I knew I was gay even before I went through this marriage and everything, but I suppressed it and I believed oh this was a phase. And I had come out to my parents when I was 19 years old and. Um, went through some, some therapy, not ex-gay therapy, but I definitely went through some religious counseling. Um, and I got to a space where I thought, okay, this is not, it's just, a, it truly is just a phase. It's not really who I am. And moved on into the marriage, met the woman that I thought was the, you know, partner of my dreams. And we had a great marriage. I, I truly did care for her and love her. Um, I don't know that I was ever in love with her. And I think that's a big distinction. And I think my story is very similar to many people who find themselves in relationships where they love the person, but they're not in love with the person. And it really has nothing to do with sexual orientation. It can have to do with just, it's not a good match. It's, well, this is what I need to be doing to, you know, move forward in the way that others want to move forward. I think when I really felt the light bulb go off was, shortly, literally shortly after our second daughter was born. And I just began really feeling like I can't do this. I can't do this. Um, I had not been faithful um, in that marriage and I'm the first to admit it. And I'm first to also say, yes, somebody can call me a real jerk. Um, But it was after she was born that I started feeling this intense pressure of, can I really continue to hide this truth of who I am? And I tried to set it aside, but it just kept coming back stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And um, it got to the point where living a dual life just didn't serve me. It literally didn't serve me. What was your wife's reaction when you told her? Well, it wasn't pretty, obviously. I think anybody who's been betrayed or who's been cheated on if they said, okay, well, that's the way it is, I think we'd kind of raise our eyebrows and go, okay, what's wrong? Um, She was not happy, but in the moment, um, she did say a few years later that she was more hurt by the infidelity than the fact that I was gay. 
And in years past, um, we've had several conversations that same kind of that was the thing that was truly what was the catalyst for her. It wasn't so much my sexual orientation. It was more that um, wasn't truthful and that I was lying and that I was cheating. And I personally can relate to that. I can, I can see how that would hurt somebody who you thought you knew and then suddenly, you know, shows up a different light. Mm-hmm. Um, I get questioned about this a lot when I'm speaking on stage and, and speaking in classes and stuff that I do around the country. And some people say, well, then why did you even do it? And I know for me, the reason I didn't do it was because I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't, com- I wasn't clear enough in myself. I wasn't educated enough in who I was. Yes, I had family member, a family member who was gay, but it was never really talked about. Um, the society that we were living in at that point in time, you know, I'm talking growing up in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, when I got married, it was mid-80s. There, it was a different time then. Yes, you kind of had some gay role models starting to appear in societal, you know, media and TV and movies, but it wasn't the thing that says this is, this is okay and this is good. I mean, we can look at our own history here in the United States right now and know that just strides towards gay marriage um, have only unraveled in the last year. Mm-hmm. So some people will make a choice to just, repress and not do anything and not get married. But the key in my case was I did fall in love with this person and I did care for her. It just wasn't the right match. Mm-hmm. How old were your kids? Well, you said your second daughter was, she had arrived recently and that, that was when you started to feel the pressure to be more honest about who you really mm-hmm. are. So yeah, they my, were, my they daughters were, both young were yeah, very young. My oldest was um, four, about four and a half. My youngest was 18 months old. So their earliest memories, they already know that their dad is gay. Um, yes, especially my youngest one. Um, my oldest one, she, she remembers life with mom and dad. Um, mm-hmm. That's one of the hardest things that still hurts me at my core, that my youngest one has no memory what life was like with mom and dad together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also feel like I've put my best foot forward throughout as, as my ex-wife to ensure that no matter what was going on between us, the kids always came first. That was mm-hmm. always our driving forces. You know, let's make it all about the kids and not about us. Yeah. And I, I feel really privileged, I guess. I feel very blessed that I have two very wonderful, strong, open-minded young women that I call my daughters because they've been through a lot as any kid that goes through a divorce has. Um, I think anybody who has a gay parent that comes out probably goes through even a lot more, especially when you go through your teen years and your middle school years. However, I will say my children have never ever been discriminated against, never had to endure any kind of harassment or bullying. Um, and so I feel very blessed in that arena. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. As a family mediator, I have worked with some folks going through the same sort of transition that you and your wife went through, where, mm-hmm. you know, the man tells the woman, you know, I've figured this out about myself. I, I really, I'm actually gay. Probably I shouldn't have married you. What are we going to yeah. do now? And I've, I've yeah. been amazingly impressed at how well some people handle that. They just, you know, really do the absolute best they can to say, okay, this is who we are. This is the situation we're in. What are we going to do to make sure that life is good for our kids? Yeah. And I think it's, it's really, really important. I think sometimes it gets lost. Um, and I think when you can do that, it also helps the two of you that are in the middle of this as well. And I know there are feelings and there's heartaches and there's hurt and there's pain, but um, there's something about putting as much positivity into the children arena as you can that also can help support each of you individually. And is it easy? No, it's not, uh, especially for the spouse who's being left. Um, and I've seen it in my work as a coming out coach. I've seen it both directions. I've worked with men and women coming out, and then you have the opposite, a uh, male or female spouse who's the one being left. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very difficult. It's, it, you know, some people think that it's really easy for the person coming out. And, yes, I've seen those people in my practice who, like, come out and go, okay, I did my did my duty. I, I gave you kids. I gave you a good life. Now I'm going to go off and live my happy-go-lucky gay life. Um, that happens more often than I'd like to admit it does. Um, and it's unfortunate. But we all have our yeah, roads that- to follow and our journeys to take. That actually happens with heterosexual people, too. I gave you mm-hmm. a couple of kids. That's what you wanted. I'm tired of it now. I'm going to go off and live yep. my happy heterosexual life somewhere else. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 It's, un- it's unfortunate, but it does happen. It does. Yeah. It's, and that's, that's so hard on the kids. Um. Yeah. Um, any... Any thoughts you can share? And is there anything in particular that can help other people stay focused on, you know, moving in the most positive direction they can while acknowledging what's actually happening, acknowledging how, how hard the change is? Absolutely. I mean, there, there's several things I would, I would encourage. Number one, um, you've got to be really clear in yourself. Um, especially as the person who is coming out before you make that decision, make sure you're really solid with who you are. And I know that's kind of a loaded request because we, I don't think any of us human beings can always be solid in who we are. We've always got new stuff showing up. And I mean, from the time I woke up this morning till the time we're doing this interview today, I probably questioned myself three or four times in different things, but the clearer you can be on who you are when you come out of the closet and why you're coming out of the closet, the stronger you will be able to be when the bombs start being thrown at you, so to speak. As individuals and a couple going through this scenario, I invite both parties, but especially the person who's coming out, to give the other person lots of room to breathe. Those of us who've been in the closet coming out later in life, or maybe even been in the closet and coming out 
somewhat early in life, we've somewhat been preparing for that moment for a long time. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, discovered you were gay at 11, 10, 9, 8, whatever that is, when you start having those feelings. And then you come out even at 16 or 17, or whether you discovered those feelings at 16 or 17 and then didn't come out until you're 45. In some way, you've been preparing for this. You've been having the inner dialogue. You've been going through the possibility. The person who receives the information, and it's not just your spouse, or it's not just your children, it's your parents, it's your brothers and sisters and cousins and uncles and aunts, and, you know, as you get further out in the nuclear or the family, you know, tree, it, it doesn't, my personal opinion, it doesn't affect as many people, and it's really not as much their burden as it is those that ride in the fire. But there's a lot of people in, in these realms that get affected by this. And um, I think the, the thing is to keep the open mind that everybody needs room to breathe. Okay. Um, we have a minute before break. Any other ideas about what helps people get through this awareness and transition time? Uh, continue to trust yourself to be yourself and encourage the other people in their life to trust themselves to be themselves. Um, you may not meet in the middle. You may not have it, you know, see things the same way, but as long as each person has been that beautiful gift of trusting themselves to be who they are, um, I think it becomes a little bit easier to make it through some of these challenging times when we start to question others and make them have to try to be the way we want them to be we tend to question ourselves. And I think trusting yourself to be yourself is one of the greatest gifts that we can give ourselves in this journey we have here on the planet for the short time that we're here. I would guess that in your work, you work with some folks who, uh, whose spouses just completely reject the change. They're just completely opposed. They don't want to have anything to do with you anymore um, now yeah. that you've said you're gay or lesbian. Is, does that happen, and yeah. how do you help people deal with that? It's, it's a huge thing that happens, and um, it's really tough to get through because now there's a complete rejection by someone that you knew, like, know, like, and trust, so to speak. And um, even though you know you're dropping the bomb, there's a whole new pathway that you start to go down and need to go through in order to be with them in a different way or not be with them at all. And... Um, it's all about kind of going through your own grief stages around that. And that's one of the things I encourage clients to look at is learn the grief stage that they're going through as these kind of relationships unravel and allow themselves to go through those five different stages of grief. All right. We're going to take a break now and we will be back in soon talking about how, how people discover their sexuality and how people live their relationships. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. 
To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Family members too often find themselves in court arguing about separation, parenting schedules, financial issues, divorce, estates, or care of an elderly relative. There's a better way to solve a family problem. Work with a professional mediator in private, confidential meetings. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin, and I'm talking today on Family Matters with Rick Clemens, who has written a book about coming out as gay after you've been married and have had children, and also hosts a radio show about helping people handle the transition when they're coming out. Before the break, we were talking about how we just started to talk about how does it go if this one spouse says, I've realized I don't belong with you. I'm gay or I'm lesbian. Um, and the other spouse responds with pretty nearly complete rejection. Mm-hmm. And this is really, really, really common in, um, in, in the world of coming out, especially those who've been married and come out late in life. Um, First of all, let's kind of put it back in the perspective. You know, you may have been married to this person and, you know, five years, 10 years, in my case, 13 years. I've worked with clients who've been married for 25 years. Um, and suddenly the person that you thought you knew says, um, I'm not exactly who you thought I was. So the first thing that goes through most spouses' minds who are receiving this information is, oh, my gosh, I've been lied to. What else is this person not been honest about? Unfortunately, there are cases where in a male who's come out, he may have been having sexual relations outside of the marriage, so on and so forth. And the first thing that a wife will think of is, okay, am I safe? Am I, am I physically you know, healthy? Things such as that. Um, and I think the fears are very valid because depending on how safe that person has acted outside the bounds, it's not just the normal STDs to worry about. There's a lot of other long-term HIV, AIDS sort of stuff to worry about as well. 
But then just to think about all the other things that have gone on in your life, all the other things that this person has told you and said to you. And so it causes that, oh my gosh, what don't I know about? So the reaction to suddenly just go, I'm done. I can't trust you. You're not the person who I thought was really in integrity, so on and so forth, often does lead the spouse who's receiving the information to take drastic measures. Now, sometimes those drastic measures may be tied to belief systems, um, religious beliefs and things such as that. And a lot of times there won't be any getting around those things. In fact, I have a couple of clients right now who are going through some pretty big stuff because of the recent um, policy and stance the Mormon church has taken um, towards individuals who are gay or lesbian and who have children that are in the church where they won't allow the children to be baptized and things such as that. So those sort of convictions oftentimes lead spouses to take really drastic measures. And as you indicated, Virginia, one of those drastic measures could be they completely reject. And for the person who's just come out, while you may anticipate getting rejection, um, in fact, when I work with people through this, I, I'm pretty blunt about you need to be prepared nobody has to accept you. There's nobody in the world that has to do this. We hope there'll be people that do accept you and there will be, there will be plenty of people who will embrace you and love you and care about you. But the people most close to you may not, and they may never do this. And to get past that, I encourage clients to learn to really start taking double doses of that self-love from the moment they start considering um, going through this monumental journey of coming out of the closet. And by self-love, I don't mean, you know, loving themselves and saying, screw anybody else in my life. No, it's about loving yourself and knowing that you have every right to be authentically who you are, that you are the person that you've always been. This piece of you is just coming to the surface. Um, and to really care and do a lot of self-care for yourself during these change, changing times that you're going through. A lot of lesbian or gay or bisexual or transgender individuals do experience a lot of rejection from their families and in their communities. Yep. What have you noticed about that? What are people so afraid of? Well, I don't know that people are afraid. I think what it is, is people are uneducated. And to me, that's what fear is. Fear is the unknowing. <clears throat> it's the uncertainty. It's the uneducation of what's going on. Um, I recently had an encounter with a client who his spouse, after many, many months and years, who appeared to be doing just fine with what they were doing, um, had embraced everything. And then some things took place. And one of the things that she said to him was, you never even cared about us and you didn't care about yourself. In fact, you were just, you know, you were chasing guys and you were being unsafe and you were putting our children at risk. And when that client asked what she meant by putting the children at risk, she said, you were hanging around with people with HIV and AIDS and, that put our children at risk. And right then and there, I said, you realize what that statement was all about. That statement was, this person doesn't understand how HIV and AIDS gets transmitted and how just hanging around someone doesn't 
make you get those diseases. And um, so I think it's the fear. It's the uncertainty. And you have to couple this, Virginia, with you're going from a place of somewhat knowing life. You're going from what is known to a place of complete uncertainty. I will say a majority of the people that I have worked with, um, most of them have been male, um, just because guys relate to my story um, much more. One of the things that's very consistent is if you're in a relationship and you're the woman whose husband has just come out, one of the consistent things is a lot of these women have put everything into being the family patriarch, so to speak. They've been the stay-at-home mom. They've been taking care of raising the kids. They've been taking care of running the household. They've been doing a lot of this stuff. And now you're going to throw them into a space where maybe I haven't worked in 10, 15, 20 years. Maybe I haven't you know, had to be responsible for anything other than just running the house. Now there's a whole new level of uncertainty. Even though they may be paying the bills, some of the decision-making processes were kind of all his. And so, you know, you're going into this really uncertain area. And I think that's a lot of times what causes people to act out of fear. As you said, you know, what are they afraid of? The fear is it's the unknown. We don't know what's coming next. However, on the other side of that same fence, even though a lot of people would say, oh, well, the person who just came out, they're off to go live their happy, you know, gay life, so to speak. They're just as uncertain. They may know who they are now, but there's a whole new world of uncertainty cropping up for them. Will I fit in? Will I ever find someone to love? Um, how do I do this, quote, gay thing? I mean, even to the one of the things that most people go, really, that's going to be a, you know, a real stumbling block for them is, how do I even do this gay sex thing? It, it would seem like, oh, well, that's why they want it. Well, that's because the societal assumption is that's what being gay is all about. No, gay is about many, many things other than just the sexual piece of it. So that's where I believe much of the fear comes from is it's just uncertainty and lack of education on um, someone's part. That statement could use some elaboration. What is being gay about besides preferring same-sex partners? Sure. So to me, gay is one little piece of my life. Um, It's more than just um, a sexual attraction, to someone else. So I'm going to kind of go clinical on this. So let's talk about what it is. So gay is a sexual orientation. It is something that says I'm more physically, emotionally, intellectually attracted to someone of the same sex rather than someone of the opposite sex. Whereas gender identity, so I'm going to go to the transgender route, it's about how one perceives and sees themselves. Now, a transgender can see themselves. If I, was a, if I was a male struggling with my transgender self, when I look in the mirror, I may physically see a man, but in my mind, in my biological being, I see and feel a woman. But just because that male want may want to transition to align his psyche and his biology with the feminine that is not there in his physical manifestation, that doesn't necessarily mean that that feminine is going to be attracted to men. That may mean that this person who's, quote, trapped in this transgender body may be a female who is attracted to females. So there's when we get into the sexual orientation piece. For me... Okay. 
for me as a gay man, that was the pivotal piece of me really starting to understand myself. Um, the, the incident that woke me up was a guy that I met and actually the first time we were together, there wasn't any sex. And what connected us was this beautiful piece of really intellectually connecting. That's what drew me to him. That's what made me see, wow, I can be so much more than just just a guy having sex with another guy. There was an intimate connection. There was an emotional connection. There was a um, very intellectual connection that occurred. And that's when I saw, wow, so this is what this really feels like. This is what it looks like. This is what it's meant to be. Got it. That's really helpful. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I, I, we're ha- almost halfway through the show. We're more than halfway through the show, and I haven't asked you, what is this Point One project? Well, it's, it's interesting. I'm glad you're bringing that up because my, so from my journey coming out of the closet to, you know, starting to do this work, I mean, I went, I went from being a VP of marketing in a software company and doing some dot-com work um, to finally being without a job and starting to look at what I wanted to do in my life and continue doing my marketing and branding stuff that I'd done, had my own consulting business. And then I realized I wanted to be doing something much, much more. And I went the route of either being a therapist or, you know, I'd, I'd started to become familiar with coaching, what coaching was all about. It'd been something that kind of been poking me in the side for about 10 years. And, um, I suddenly started to realize, wow, I want to do this work. I want to help people really be themselves and find themselves. And um, so the Point One Project actually came from doing this beautiful work of helping people come out and find themselves. And there's this interesting scientific studies, and there's several of them. And so now there's a lot of debate about which one's actually accurate, but there's a scientific study that says basically we're 99, anywhere from 99.9% to 99.1% alike in our DNA, but it's in that 0.1 or that 0.9, whichever you want to run with. And I happen to decide, hey, I'm going to go with the 0.1 is where what I call all the magic happens. It's what makes me bald. It's what makes me have a beard. It's what makes me have the guts to go be on radio and you to host a radio show it's what creates scientists. It's what creates the beautiful masterpieces that we admire in museums. In the point one of our DNA is where our differentness and our uniqueness shows up. And it wasn't until I started doing work around coming out and then I started working with gay men a lot in their lives beyond the coming out closets. And then I started getting a lot of females working with me who were not gay, who were really searching for that piece of themselves that said, I need more, I want more. And I was wanting to take this to a bigger audience and it kept coming up that you've got this really great voice and I don't mean just radio voice thing. You've got a great voice for telling the story and bringing the stories to life. And I was actually at a conference in Portland called the World Domination Summit, which is a bunch of movers and shakers and world change makers. And in the midst of somebody speaking, I realized my through line of all this work that I've been doing is helping people step into their, their uniqueness, their differentness in the world to be who they really want to be. 
And it started out as the Just Be You revolution. And the more I kept searching and looking, and then I found this study, and I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. This point one piece of this is interesting. And I happened to be in a discussion with my marketing team one day, and we were working on other stuff. I said, you know what? I just wonder what it would look like if we created this thing and called it a project of some sort rather than this Just Be You revolution. A lot of people are already doing it. And um, the room got kind of quiet, and somebody said, well, what if we called it the point one project, helping people dig their difference and dig their differentness. And then other phrases started flowing and teaching people how to say sameness be damned. And we started just creating all this. So this is our brand new baby. It's only been alive um, since July of this year. And we are allowing the community to start to grow it and help people step into what we call their point oneness and their uniqueness in the world. Okay. Um. I'm guessing that if people go to www.rickclemens.com, they will be able to find information about that project. Is that correct? Absolutely. We, like I said, we are launching. There is the Point One Project website that kind of talks a little bit about it at this point. We are in the midst of moving things and shaking things, but there will all you can go to either pointoneproject.com or rickclemens.com, and you'll start to see what we're um, forming and doing around that. Um, I'm really excited about it because it's getting a lot of interest. A lot of people are starting to go, yeah, I get that. In fact, um, maybe after the break, we can talk about a couple of stories that tell about people who really, truly stepped into their point oneness, who've seen what it does for them, seen how it's enriched their lives, and we can go a little bit deeper. So That sounds good. Yeah. I'm going to squeeze in one more thing before the break, sure. which is to mention that earlier this year, on March 10th, 2015, I did an interview with Nancy Mezzi, and she has done a lot of research about lesbian, gay, and to a lesser extent, bisexual and transgender families. But uh, it was a really wonderful interview. She wrote a wonderful book. So people who are interested in this topic of coming out and then want to know more about LGBT family life, that's another resource. We'll take a break now, and I'll be back with Rick Clemens soon. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Sadly, that's wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, or co-parenting, there is a better way. Family Mediation. Save time, save money, and make good plans for your children. Visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at APFMnet.org. That's APFMnet.org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. 
Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin talking with Rick Clemens about coming out and other things related to sexuality and identity. We actually have quite an agenda for this last segment of the show because we do want to get to talking about kids and how they learn and when they learn about sex and sexuality and also about how coming out is not an event that happens one time. It's the beginning of a journey that goes on and on with a lot of other people involved. But before the break, we were talking about the Point One Project, and I want—I do want to hear at least one story of what that project has been like, what someone has discovered from participating. Sure. Well, I'm going to tell you a quick story because I think it really drives it home. Um, I was—it was actually before we even launched the project, and I was sitting in a restaurant with a group of. Um, other entrepreneurs and we were all talking about different things we were doing and uh, the guy that was sitting next to me um, asked me what I did and I was explaining it to him and I said so the point one is you know kind of this magical place where all our good stuff hides and sometimes we don't let it show and he goes well what do you mean I said well you know it's like maybe something you've done and you want to do but somebody told you you couldn't do it or you weren't very good at it he got really quiet and he goes yeah he goes um when I was in college I played the guitar but Somebody told me I wasn't really good, and it just kind of took me to that place where I just put it away. And I said, that's what I mean. You know, it's you probably enjoyed playing that guitar, and had you continued to do it, who know what might have come from it. You might have just got pure joy of just doing it for yourself. So we kept eating lunch, and the group started to break up, and we were all starting to say goodbye. And, and this guy came up to me as he was leaving, and he said, I just want you to know I'm going to go home. And I'm going to do this thing. I said, do what thing? He goes, I'm going to go step into my point one. He goes, I'm going to go pull that um, guitar out and I'm going to play it a little bit tonight. And um, that was a pretty moving experience for me because I, I realized in that moment that guy really got what I was talking about, about pulling out his gifts, shining them up, bringing out those hidden assets of his life and starting to do something with it. And I had the privilege of seeing him about four months later. And the first words that um, came out of his mouth was, I've been playing my guitar almost every day since you and I had that conversation. I thought, wow, "Wow, that's pretty cool. So that's just one little story. I mean, there's lots of different ways we do this. We do it with groups in, you know, corporate America, helping employees really step out and show themselves off to their colleagues or their superiors in different ways and encouraging 
you know, managers to really try to tap into individuals point one. So um, that's what the point one project's all about is waking people up to their unique differentness in the world and letting it shine. Okay. Well, let's switch gears and talk about children and teenagers. What are your current views about, you know, when should we start teaching kids anything about sex and about sexuality? What's a good way for kids to learn? What are the ways that kids ordinarily do learn? Mm -hmm. Well, in this day and age, I think there's 101 ways your kids are probably going to learn about sex before you ever have the conversation with them. So, um... I think with media and social media and iPads and, you know, technology in our children's hands, um, we have to understand as parents and adults that kids are absorbing information at a faster rate um, than ever before in the human race history. For me personally, um, as my children, as my two daughters went through this experience with me, I always did my best to talk to them at a level that they could understand. And I think that's, that's just common parenting advice. But I think when it comes to the issues of sex and sexuality, it's extremely important for them to understand um, things at their level. And in the gay and lesbian world, there were some beautiful books that I found that really helped um, me communicate to my children. Um, one of them was daddy's roommate. So it talked about how daddy ended up with a roommate and that daddy's roommate was really special to him and so on and so forth. And even though at the time I didn't have someone in my life, it started to help them understand. Um, also, I think to let kind of let go of your own ego as a parent or as an adult and realize kids are much more, um, I don't know, they're much more alive and awake than we may give them credit for at times. So those would be my two pieces of advice. Talk to them at an age level that they can understand, you know, deliver the information in a way that they can understand and also give them a little bit of credit. Uh, Kids are pretty smart. And the third one, I guess, would be, I believe personally, and I've seen it happen numerous times, kids are much more resilient than we give them credit for. Yeah. I'm going to interject at least one of my own opinions here. I think that if you are able as a parent to do it, it is a really good idea to talk with your kids about sex at an age-appropriate level when they're pretty young and continue to Mm -hmm. talk with them as they grow up. Because if all they learn, if where they get their information is their peers and social media and movies, they are going to have a really distorted understanding of what human beings are like and what sexual encounters are like. Absolutely. I will share a story from a real quick story. I I spoke yesterday at a a college and I spoke with a mother whose um, daughter is transgender and young daughter. So I'm talking like eight years old Mm -hmm. and she struggled with, you know, okay, well, her, her son at the time kept saying he was a girl, I'm a girl, I'm a girl. And this was happening at three and four years old. And so finally they started letting him begin to express himself in that manner. And then at the second grade level, they finally realized they needed to give him the freedom to be himself. And so they finally allowed him to put a dress on and wear it to school one day, which was freaking the mother out. You know, well, what's going to happen? You know, how is this going to work? And she got to the playground and, and was kind of shaking there, you know, going, okay, here we go. And, and her son slash now daughter ran onto the playground in her dress and all the kids got swarmed around him and she was freaking out. 
and the kid said, why are you wearing a dress? And he said, because I enjoy it and I like the way it feels. And all the kids are like, okay, cool. Now can we go play? <laughs> and, I, and she said that was one of the most wonderful moments for me. Of course, about five minutes later, she was marched into the administrator's office and saying that they couldn't do this and so on and so forth. And so that began the journey of them finding a more accepting school for um, her daughter. But um, I think that's a good example of kids are much more open-minded and resilient. I'm not saying all kids because where kids learn stuff is from the rest of us big walking kids that sometimes don't know what we're talking about either. But um, I think it's a good example of how resilient kids can be. And um, if you let kids be themselves and you let the other kids around them be themselves, um, they can be pretty miraculous little beasts. So Yeah, they might just all get along. <laughs> they just might. Exactly. <laughs> Okay. Um, You do work with a lot of people when they are first coming out and then, you know, when they're preparing for coming out and when they're first coming out and then following up. Tell me more about how that's not a one-time event. Well, so today I'm coming out. I mean, I know you a little bit. I don't know any of the listeners who are listening. They don't know me, but I'm pretty much putting my my truth out on the line today. So even on this radio broadcast, I'm coming out again. And for me and those of us who are in those shoes, we never will stop coming out. It doesn't matter if it's because you're going to a new job or you're moving to a new city or you're buying a new house. There's always some event pretty much on a daily basis in some way, shape, or form that you're coming out. Now, this isn't me saying, okay, let's all go wave our rainbow flags because I love myself and I love my community. I'm an advocate, but I'm an advocate when it feels right to me. And that doesn't mean wherever I go, I have to fly the flag. However, I will stand up for my rights as anyone would. Um, But I think this is a piece that a lot of people don't realize as they start the journey that, Okay, you come out, you tell those closest to you, now there's a whole lot more that's coming around the pike. And to manage it um, is, once again, when you really got to be very clear in who you are and very trusting of yourself. That's a good point. It's not just your relatives. It's also the people you work with and the new people you meet in new settings Mm -hmm. who are going to, you know, get acquainted with that aspect of who you are. Well, and it's it can be as simple as, you know, and it's always, you know, I, I kind of I kind of enjoy this piece of it. You know, it's like getting on an airplane and, you know, if somebody's next to you is wanting to talk, inevitably, some of the questions we ask when we sit down and ask someone on the airplane is, where are you going? Who are you going to see? Where have you been? Oh, have you been gone for a while? Well, I bet you're ready to get home to your husband or your wife. You know, it's these little tiny conversations that you don't realize that this stuff is going to come up. Now, you don't have to tell a perfect stranger, and sometimes I choose not to. Other times I'm like, I'm not going to hide this. I just answer the question. And I can tell you this, that of the hundreds of flights, because I used to fly all over the world, of the hundreds of flights that I've taken since I came out of the closet, I can't think of one time that I've actually blatantly said I'm gay or that I have a husband or a partner or that I'm a gay father. I can't think of one time that anybody was offended by what I said. And that takes a lot to do that in a public place like that. Now, of course, what I laugh about is, well, I've kind of got them in a captive environment. It's not <laughs> like they can go anywhere. So, um, yes, they could ask the, the flight attendant to be relocated. But, um, you know, I, I think it's how you approach it. And my theory is 
If you don't make a big deal about it, it actually isn't as big a deal. The moment you start making a big deal, and this is in life in general, if you, the more you make big deals about things, the more likely it is that it's going to be a big deal. So, okay. um, I'm going to ask you a two-part question because the two okay. parts go together. Um, as a society, there's a majority view that we have towards LGBTQ, the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Um, what is there about society's views towards the community that scares you? And what is there about society's view that inspires you? What scares me is the lack of education and the fear that society in some, and not all society, um, but the fear that some society lets really drive them. Um, it wasn't that long ago that the same sort of stuff was happening because of the color of someone's skin. And um, I would invite anybody who may be listening, who, who struggles with trying to understand this, to think about when did you actually choose to have your brown hair or your blue eyes or to write with your right hand or to write with your left hand? I didn't choose this. I just happened to be this. And so I think a lot of what scares me is there's not enough education and there is, you know, ignorance Mm -hmm. that exists out there. And that's what scares me. What inspires me is the people that I least expect that wrap their love and arms around myself and my community. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope that we will someday cross through into the other side where people truly see the beauty of people for people. And I think it's we're moving there. It's moving there. may not be as fast as we want for some some people. I personally see it moving a lot quicker than I would have thought. I actually, in my short, quote, lifetime as a gay man, so to speak, I'm I'm pretty amazed by some of the stuff I see happening right now. And... um, I, those are the inspiring moments is when you see an ally show up that you least expect. In fact, one of the guys that I speak with on a panel for PFLAG a lot of the time, he's a 72-year-old guy. He has children. None of them are gay or lesbian. He's got, I think, five or eight grandchildren. As far as he knows at this stage, none of them are gay or lesbian. In fact, as far as he knows, none of his extended family are gay or lesbian, but you know, he doesn't know everybody you know, intimately. And yet he comes and he sits on those panels with us as P-Flags as a ally and says, the reason I am here is because everyone has the right to be exactly who they are. And he doesn't tolerate intolerance. And so when I see something like that, that's what warms my heart. I'm going to interject here. P-Flag is short for, I believe, Parents, Families, Friends, and Allies United with LGBTQ People. Yes. Yep. Pretty yeah. much. Yep. I looked that up because I thought you might might mention P flag, and yep. I wasn't sure yep. what it stood for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was actually started by a mom in New York City, uh, right around the Stonewall riot times, where her son has, or her son was marching in what would have been now modern day gay pride parades, and she decided to march with him. And from that, she began to have meetings and support for anyone, whether they're parents or friends or family members or lesbian or gay or whatever. And that continues, and it's a beautiful, wonderful organization. And there are chapters all over the U.S. and some in some foreign countries at this point. 
Okay, we're just about to wrap up. What one last thing or one, one or last two quick things would you like to tell the audience? Well, one of my phrases that I always like to share is the truth of who you are is much more important than the false truth of who you're pretending to be. And if I could leave that with the audience and let them really kind of think through that, the truth of who you are is much more important than the false truth of who you're pretending to be. If they could take that in and kind of let that percolate um, with them, I think it would serve anyone to really get that piece when we're pretending we're really not being who we truly are. And if you're pretending and I'm pretending, we're having a pretend relationship. Good point. All right. I want to say thank you, Rick Clemens, and people can find you online at rickclemens.com. Thank you, Virginia. I really enjoyed it today. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow. Oh, 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 oh,